0: Howdy, you're listening to the Texas AM RUF Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Good evening. My name is Hampton. I have the privilege of reading our scripture. This is Austin. He's really cool. He's going to be um, diving into Ephesians or continuing with Ephesians. So I'm going to go ahead and read a section. Therefore, remember, oh, by the way, this is Ephesians 2 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the uh, covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus Christ, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For those through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Please bow your with Lord, um, thank you for this night. Thank you that um, you've provided us a building um, that we get to come and worship you. I pray that you would speak through Austin tonight as uh, he dives into more of Ephesians. I um, pray that you would protect us throughout um, the rest of this weekend um, and you'd give us diligence. Jeeps and prayer. Amen.
1: Uh, Thanks so much, Hampton. Uh, Y'all, Hampton's awesome. Uh, Get to know him. He's also got great hair. Uh, And his dad is uh, actually leading our spring retreat, and he's awesome. Uh, Reverend Derek McCollum. Also, great hair. Uh, So, yeah, go to the Instagram page. You can uh, hear uh, Hampton's dad talk about what we're going to be talking through. We're going to be going through the book of Jonah. Uh, It's going to be awesome. So,. Come spring retreat, can't plug that enough. I think you'll find it to be really refreshing, even when you're really busy. Uh, yeah, you'll find it to be refreshing. Time to fellowship, here's some amazing teaching, and time to rest. So uh, we'd love for you to come. Look, uh, I just want to say this. If, if this is your first time to walk through the doors of all faiths, and you are coming to RUF for the first time, I want to say welcome. Really, we're glad you're here. Really, and, and I want to say this. At RUF, we believe that you're never so good that you stand outside the need of God's grace while at the same time you are never so bad that you stand outside the reach of His grace. And we hope that we embody that. That when you come to RUF, you taste that. And so we're really glad you're here. Uh, You could be at a basketball game right now. And uh, yeah, I mean, I did that in college, and uh, you are are way more faithful than I am. Uh, Well, in in May of 2008, there was a news story that uh, really received global attention. Um, And the story was about a woman... Who lived in Zagreb, which is the, the capital of Croatia. Uh, she was an ordinary working woman. She lived alone in an apartment. Uh, and one evening she came home from a hard day of work, made a cup of tea, sat down, and actually died from natural causes. And this story received global attention. And it's a bit odd, because like, wh- why was this story of this woman who, who was found dead in her apartment in 2008 so newsworthy? Well, the reason was, and it's tragic, because she died in 1973. None of her neighbors looked for her. She had no family that reported that she was actually missing. Nobody knew that she was gone. And this is a tragic story that depicts terrible loneliness of being dead for 35 years and no one even noticed it. And around the world, everyone received that story with, with just anger. Because everyone knows that no one was meant to actually die alone. That no one should be that isolated. Like, how does that happen? And sadly, that's the effects of the fall on sin. And tonight, we'll be unpacking the contributing factor. The Bible's answer is one word, hostility. Which leads to division and isolation. And hostility, it really is a pretty apt description of humanity's relationship throughout the years. Whether you go back all the way to Genesis 4 where you see Cain murdering his younger br- brother Abel right after the fall. Or to Genesis 6 where God looks at the world that he made and weeps because it's full of violence. Or to world wars in the last century or, or they're treating people of different races as slaves. Or to politics today where each side seems to shout and demonize the other. Or even to family units where there's verbal and physical abuse. And all the way down to probably today for a lot of you, where something hurtful was said, or, I don't know, just a general cold feeling you got from someone that just ignored you in a way that said, you don't belong here. All of that, all of the extreme obvious, all the way to the mundane everyday, it can be summarized with this word, hostility. That ever since the sin entered in the world, humans have been fighting and hurting one another. Fragmentation and division everywhere. That people are left isolated, alone, and hurt. And it's not the way it was supposed to be. Well, We are walking through the book of Ephesians and seeing how it reveals to us that God is a God who loves to reconcile things that are alienated. He loves to heal things that are broken. He loves to clean things that are dirty. And he loves to bring life where there is death. And tonight gives us the answer to the killing of this hostility, to the ushering in of peace, and actually to a forming of a new people, a new community, that is found in the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. And really tonight, if you're a note-taker, you have on your bulletin sermon notes. and it's very small, but if you're a note-taker, here's, here's kind of the three stages that this passage takes us through tonight that I want us to consider, okay? What we Gentiles were without Christ, Secondly, what God has done for us through Christ. And lastly, what we are now becoming in Christ. So what we Gentiles were without Christ, what God has done for us through Christ, and what we are now becoming in Christ. So first, what we Gentiles were without Christ in verses 11 through 12 and verse 14. See, this passage won't make much sense to us tonight unless we remember that in the Ephesian church at this time when this is being written, There are two sets of people, both Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles, biblically meaning a non-Jew, which is actually almost all of us tonight, if if your parents are not both Jewish, right? Or if you don't come from Jewish descent. And look, it's really hard to picture this, okay? It's hard to imagine just how this statement would have landed when these first century Ephesian Christians would have read this, okay? Okay? That ethnically, politically, socially, these two groups were very hostile towards one another. And and it's really almost impossible to draw a one to one connection here, but but the level, level of hatred and hostility would be kind of like a church in the South filled with African Americans and KKK members. This is how extreme the hostility was. That the Jews and the Gentiles in the church are a case study in hostility and division. Ethnically, politically, socially, these two these two groups were very divided. Okay, that's very important for us to understand. Because if Paul in verses 1 through 10 last week that we studied in, in, in chapter 2, if he was describing our lost condition from the viewpoint of our personal depravity, what we find now in this passage that he is getting us, his audience, getting us to consider it's lost, our lost condition from the viewpoint of redemptive history. Because the Bible teaches that God actually revealed. And worked his plan in real history, especially through the calling of Abraham and through the creation of a covenant community of the nation of Israel, through the Jewish nation. And it's through the Jews that God promises that they would be the light to the nations, namely in the coming of Jesus Jesus himself, who is a Jew. So that's important for us, right? Because what Paul does... Is As he is asking the Gentiles, the Ephesian Christians who are in this church at this time to remember. This is the first imperative that we encounter from Paul in the book of Ephesians. He says, You Gentiles, that's us, okay? Paul's saying, remember who you were before Christ. Remember your history. And what is he, what is he asking them? What actually describes this, right? When he, when, he, when he asks them to remember their history, he wants them to remember the darkness and the hostility that characterized them outside of Christ. So let's look at some of those characteristics very briefly, okay? Verse 11 says you were called the uncircumcision, okay? A lot of historical context here. Paul, Paul says, remember, Jewish people, to you Gentiles, called you the uncircumcision. And that's important because circumcision in the Old Testament was the mark of God's people, of the Jewish nation. And between Jews and Gentiles, those two words actually became a racial slur. This is how they at one another, like back in the day. Because the Jews belittled the Gentiles by calling them the uncircumcised. And the Gentiles mocked the Jews by calling them the circumcised. This is how they argued with one another. This is how they labeled each other. And then in verse 12, Paul says, Remember, to you Gentile Christians, that you were separated from Christ, you were alienated from Israel... You were strangers to the promises. And there was no hope without God. So here, Paul is reminding them that if you look at biblical history, God made all of these promises, revealed Himself to Israel with covenants and with the law. He gave all of this information to the Jewish people, not the Gentiles. Sinclair Ferguson, who's a wonderful theologian, he summarizes it well when he says that many of the Ephesian Christians before Christ were Christless, They were stateless, they were friendless, they were godless, and they were hopeless. In a nutshell, they were not God's people. And so here's the point of all of that, okay? I want you to sense the history that was in the Ephesian church at that time. That a whole history of each group being distinguished from the other, fighting one another. That Jewish people were the insiders, they had the knowledge of God, they had the promises, and they were unwilling to share it. They were the religious ones. While the Gentiles were the outsiders, the irreligious. The scor- they were scorned by the insiders. And there was violence between both of them. There was hostility between both of them. And don't miss the forest for the trees. Okay, And too quickly victimize one group to the other. Paul says if you're doing that, then you're actually missing the point. Because he doesn't... He, he'll say this later, in, or earlier in Romans 11. He'll, he'll say that actually both Jews and Gentiles are prone to pride. So Paul is not taking sides here, But Paul is reminding the Ephesian Christians, he's saying, remember your former state. He's saying he's reminding them and us of all of that truth tonight. That apart from being reconciled to Christ and being in community with God's people, the church, there will will always be alienation and hostility. That was a lot, right? (laughs) So why would that be the case? Because apart from Christ, everyone is trying to build their own sense of self, their sense of worth on something. And what whatever that is, it becomes our identity. And that thing is the place of superiority and hostility. We take the good things that God has given us, like culture, abilities, talents, intellect, whatever it may be, and we pride ourselves in those things and look down on those who don't have it. Um. I heard a funny story one time. Well, it was a funny story from a friend who, who was watching, watching this documentary uh, that was highlighting actually these mission trips that some Americans would make to this rural Wadandi uh, rainforest village, which was actually kind of near Ecuador. And the Americans would like come, and they would come every year. And they kind of looked down on these, on these primitive people, and they would show up and just kind of like paint their villages and like really bright and shiny colors. And they would clean things up, and they would try and teach them like some first world skills. And when the, they actually interviewed the the Wadani people, and they used an interpreter for this, like the Wadani people were like, "I don't really know why they show up. <laughs> like I, I don't know. Like I don't understand why they do this every year. Like do they think that we don't know how to paint and clean? Like what's the point of all this?" <laughs> but then that actually followed the Wadani people because the Wadani people would take the Americans out uh, to go hunting and they would teach them how to hunt monkeys with blow darts and like how to climb trees and of course like the Americans were horrible at it. Like they would embarrass themselves. And you would you would watch in this documentary of these Wadani people just laughing and like kind of making fun of them uh, as they were like making fools of themselves. And they would they would laugh at themselves, and they would also be interviewed, and they're like these white people like are crazy. Like they wouldn't last three days. If they would shoot a monkey. They wouldn't even know how to like go get it. And like what you found out like in this documentary, what was happening was that each culture was elevating what they were good at and known for, and they were making it a place of pride and trying to belittle the others who couldn't do it. And it actually begs the question tonight, like. Like how do people groups find their identity, like gather their worth, and then belittle others and create hostility at AM? Like how do we do that? I, I I want to be gentle with this, but like I don't know, like we may not say it out loud, but like deep down we're like, you know, like I'm in the student ward or in the outfit on the campus that has the best of the best. Like the, the people that actually care about character. Because that student organization over there, or that flow, is the trashing one or the weird one, like because our group has like the greatest GPA, like and over there, like they're the partiers, like they're the misfits, like that line, that line of thinking creates hostility. Or we're tempted to think, you know, like I'm not in a fraternity or sorority, like I don't have to pay for my friends, like I'm secure. But those Greek people, I don't know. I, I guess they're just weaker, and it creates hostility. Or we think, you know, like, I came to REF tonight, and I didn't go to a basketball game. I, I must be better than those heathens watching well, basketball game right now. I was one of those heathens in, in college. So. Um, you see, Paul tells the Gentiles to remember their state before being reconciled to God and to God's people. Because our hearts are prone to spiritual amnesia. Even as Christians, we forget. That's why you see Paul again and again and again. The language of remember. Remember, remember. All throughout the Bible we see that. Because our hearts try and recapture a sense of worth by elevating certain things God gives us to feel superior. And the result is always hostility, division, and isolation. But that's not just to shame us, right? Because Paul doesn't stop there. And that's the beauty of this passage. Because in verses 13-16, through Paul tells them, That these Ephesian Christians need to remember something else. They need to remember what God has done for them in Christ. See, Paul's words, but God, mark the turning point of our passage last week. That when God graciously intervenes by bringing us from death to life, and here in the second half of the chapter, there's a similar turning point with the same words, but now. You see, as a Christian, you, you should love big conjugations like this. Like, we, we love those. <laughs> A lot of jokes can be made. But, like, like, once you were dead, but now you are alive. And here Paul is saying, like, once you were far off, but now you are near. And Christ has broken down the wall of hostility. How? Notice that in order for our horizontal relationships to be reconciled, there has to be vertical uh, reconciliation. In other words, the reason Gentile believers were no longer outsiders, according to Paul, was not that the Jews altered their feelings towards them, or that the Gentiles had engaged in the Jewish ritual to make themselves more acceptable in some way. But the walls of hostility have been brought down, both Jew and Gentile, because they have been brought together by Christ alone and His blood on the cross. That is what ushers in peace. Paul is saying, this is what unites us. See, the Jewish believer, yes, they had fellowship with God not on the basis of circumcision, not on the basis of their national identity, not on the basis of the possession of the law or easier access to the temple, unlike the Gentiles, but in Christ alone. And the exact same is true for the Gentiles, for both of these groups. Which means tonight that all of us, Jew or Gentile, black or white, poor or rich, Prostitute or pillar in the community. We are all reconciled to God in the exact same way. By Jesus taking our record of hostility. And by Jesus fulfilling the law for us. And drawing near to us through his great sacrifice on the cross. That's why verse 14 says that Jesus is our peace. He doesn't say that Jesus gives us peace. But he says that Jesus himself is our peace. He isn't what unites us. He is our commonality. See, being united to Him by faith, by trusting Him and His Word, kills the hostility. And by definition, that according to Paul, it actually brings down the dividing walls that used to separate people. That's how the Gospel works. That's how salvation works. Because we are built on the cornerstone. And a cornerstone is the foundation. If the cornerstone is crooked so too would be the building. But if the cornerstone is God who became man to absorb our hostility and bring reconciliation and bring outsiders in, that is to be our posture to the world and to one another. Reconciled to God vertically always means seeking to be reconciled to one another horizontally. It's actually a mark that you've been saved. Um, David Powelson, who is... He's now with Jesus. Uh, he, uh, he died back in 2019. He, he served as, as CCEF, which is stands for Christian Counseling Education Foundation. Uh, he, he was executive director and a faculty member and a senior editor there. Um, but David graduated from Harvard. He held a PhD from the University of Pennsylvania in psychology. And he had an MDiv from Westminster Theological Seminary. And as he was getting his PhD, uh, studying psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, he he shares a story that all of of the students were actually required uh, to have an internship. And his internship was at the local mental institution at the hospital. And a part of his internship, part of his specific job, was that he he was called to actually conduct the exit interviews for people who had received treatment and were actually stable enough to leave the mental institution. And as he was conducting these exit interviews, he would always end with the same question. He said, okay, now tell me. Now that the interview's kind of over, what's the number one thing that you found most helpful during your time here? Was it the medicine? Was it the therapy? Was it the group therapy? And in almost every single one of his exit interviews, he started getting the same answer. It was Sally. It was Sally. And he started kind of like, okay, what's going on here? Like, who is Sally? And they would try and explain it to him. And after multiple exit interviews, David discovered that Sally was an African-American woman who was the custodian that worked the night shift at the mental health institution. And Sally spent her evenings cleaning up the waste and the garbage of those who were mentally unstable and those who were forgotten. It didn't matter what their background was where they came from, or what they suffered from. But in every exit interview that Pallison actually recorded, every patient mentioned that Sally loved them and cared for them and always talked about Jesus. She would say things like, and he wrote this, she would say things like, you know that you're precious to Jesus, right? Do you know that he actually loves you? That you're precious in his sight? And Pallison, a graduate from Harvard, getting his PhD in psychology, shares that it was Sally, an African American woman serving as a night custodian who loved her job and loved the unlovable. That was actually what changed his life and he became a Christian. And I really want to press this in on us tonight. At the first implication that Paul points to us as a sign, as a mark, that if you were a Christian united to Christ, is that the normal barriers that separate and divide people actually come down, and hostility is killed, and there is actually a new unity. And Ephesians says that there's actually a one new man, a new humanity. That's who you are. And so my question for for us tonight is, like, like how how are we doing? (laughs) Like, would people look at RUF and say... Man, that, that's a place where the other stuff just doesn't matter. Like, it just doesn't matter if you wear Greek letters on your like or not. It doesn't matter if you're white or black or Hispanic. It doesn't matter if you are in the core or not. Or if you have lots of Bible knowledge or you don't have any at all. Like it doesn't matter if you're socially connected and impressive or not. There's actually unity and love and care because of Christ. Like how are we do. Like, are the walls of hostility coming down between you and your roommates? Like, are the walls of hostility coming down between you and, I don't know, friend groups within RUF? Listen, let me just say this as a sideline comment. I was a student at RUF in Mississippi State, then went to go serve as an intern at at Auburn. And, like, I loved it when people showed up to RUF who were new and then left and were actually kind of confused. Not confused about the gospel message and the word being preached. Do not want you to be confused about that. But I loved it when people walked away and said, like, what is it about that group? Like, they're all kind of different from one another. Like, why are these people hanging out with one another? Why are they asking each other about each other's lives? Well, why? Like, I hope it's because of Jesus. And you actually taste that when you come to argue I hope you leave a little confused. Because we want you to. Because you look at this world, you look at this campus, and you say, wow, there's something different about this group. And I hope we're doing that. And here's the good news I'll I'll leave with you tonight in our last point that, that Paul leaves us with. He tells these Ephesian Christians to remember and to lean into what is already true of you if you are in Christ. So lastly, what we are now becoming in Christ. Look what Paul says. And this is pretty amazing. He doesn't tell them to do anything. He doesn't tell the Christians to do anything. He reminds them of who they already are in Christ. And look at these three things that he says in verses 19 and 21. He says, through Jesus, you're not strangers anymore, but citizens. You are members of the household of God with the same access to the Father. You're actually built together in the dwelling place of God. Paul just said that through Christ all Christians are members of the same citizenship, the same family, and the same temple. I like, think about those images for a second, okay? First, a new citizenship. Right, we know this, but but there is a unity that comes with citizenship. Like the same Im- imagery is being used here. Paul is saying, Christian, your citizenship, it is with Jesus. And it's in a city whose builder and maker is God in His kingdom. Not in America. Okay, we we'll would be very clear about that. That's not your true home, even when it feels like it sometimes. Your earthly citizenship is passing away, but your heavenly citizenship will never pass away. That means that you aren't first and foremost an engineer. You aren't first and foremost an ruf You aren't first and foremost Kappa Delta. You aren't first and foremost Or any sort of you are first and foremost in the core. You're in Christ. That is your citizenship. That is your identity. And there is no second-class citizens for those who are in the kingdom of God. And second, Paul says that you have a new family. That in Christ we have access to the same Father. That we're actually members of the household of God. Like think about that for a second. That's kind of scary because we all know that you don't choose your family. And like we can be part of the same country, like even compared to citizenship, you can be residents in the same city, and you can pay the same taxes, and yet actually still be hostile to those people at that school or in that neighborhood or in that fill in the blank. But family, family there is a certain kind of closeness and intimacy that's actually demanded. Right, did you, did, you, did you ever grow up with your parents saying like, hey you better figure out how to get along because he's your brother, because he's your sister? Right, like Paul is saying, this is going to take work. Like being in family, it's hard, and it takes a lot of work. But your brothers and sisters, your fathers and mothers, are actually those who are in Christ. You have a new family, and for some of you tonight, like I want you, I want this to give you hope, because some of you I know, family is not a pleasant thing. And you've been burned by your family, and hurt by your family, and maybe even turned away from by your family. But don't you see what Paul is saying here? I uh, came as minister years ago. There was a student that came into his kind of community of RUF, and, and he was from India, and uh, and his family was Hindu. And he actually ended up becoming a Christian, and he was united to Jesus by faith. And what that meant for this student, it meant that his family would completely cut him off forever and actually treat him as dead. They'd be ashamed of him. They wouldn't receive him back. And they would treat him like he he might as well be dead. And when he was talking to the elders of the church, uh, this campus minister asked him, he's like, you know, what is this costing you? He said, it's costing me my family. And then someone asked him, like, how can you do it? Like, how can you do that? And he said, well, Jesus promised to give me new brothers and new sisters and new mothers. I'm going to be okay. And at his baptism the next Sunday, the campus minister told the congregation, he said, this is your son now, and these are your brothers and sisters. And that's true. And I don't know what your friendly life is like. But Jesus says that you will lose nothing that you don't gain. That in in Jesus and in the church, there is a new family. And that also means it's going to take a lot of work. But if we are family, hear me say this, okay? That means ultimately that if you are a Christian tonight, you have more in common with a guy living in the slums of Haiti who is a Christian. More so than you have in common with your lab partner who you cut up with and who doesn't know Jesus. And even with your family, your own family who doesn't know Jesus. And we say like, there's no way. But it's true. That it takes hard work of finding that commonality in people that are different than us, but are also in Christ. But Paul says, put yourself in spaces of Christians that are different than you. Take on the posture of leaning, learning, and listening. And a great place to start, I think, is here in RUF. And lastly, okay, wrapping them up here. And here's the result, the temple. The last imagery that Paul uses here. And this would have sounded crazy to Jewish ears, okay? This is why our historical context is important. Because the temple was the dwelling place of God. All of his glory, all of his beauty, his presence with his people. And Paul says the temple, the dwelling place, it's actually now here. It's with his people, both Jew and Gentile, together together. Do you want to see the beauty, the glory, the fullness of God in all of its glory? It's still the temple, but the temple is now my people. You want to, you want to know the beauty of God? Be with and where He dwells. Actually with His people. Um, there's an old commercial with Serena Williams. Uh, it shows her as a little girl, and she's practicing with her dad in tennis. And her dad says, Serena... I want you to imagine that you're in the U.S. Open and you're serving. And what you see is like it transitions to future Serena and she's in the U.S. Open and she's about to serve and in the background her dad is talking to her and he's telling her, alright, you, you got to do this. Now imagine you hitting a backhand. It shows her hitting a end in the U.S. Open. And then it kind of comes back to little Serena as a little girl. And he says, now I want you to practice it. You see, this is the Christian life. You are becoming what God says you already are. And what you will be one day. And what Paul is saying is look ahead. (laughs) Imagine. And practice being that. That's you being in Christ. Paul is saying you and I are actually the dwelling place of the Lord. He has chosen us by His sovereign and free will. He has so condescended Himself enough to say that I am going to manifest my presence among these people in and through the person sitting right next to you in your seat. Therefore, we get to know each other in the process and get to know God Himself through one another. What could be more profound than that? Let's go this week and live out what we already are in Christ. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, you promise us that through you we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Lord, I, help you, I pray that you would help us to believe that, to believe that truth and to live out in what we already are. That we would love those that you place in our life that are different than us. That you would start here in our US, start in our own hearts, in the way that we love and care for one another. Knowing that you've saved us and given us a new citizenship. That we're no longer alienated from you. And that means we're no longer alienated from one another. Father, you've given us a new family in Christ. That if we are in you, we have brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you teach us how to learn and to listen to one another? And continue to break down the walls of hostility? Father, would you help us to remember that you actually dwell in us? That your temple is with us in us? That we are united to you forever? Lord, we love you and we thank you for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.
0: We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If you're interested in joining us for a large group, we would love to see you at All Faiths Chapel on the north side of campus across from Sabisa, at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events we're putting on. We hope to see you around. Thanks and gig em.